Hello everyone, my name is Tria Hutchins and thank you so much for joining us today. I work for the Educating All Learners Alliance and I'm really excited to help present this presentation here today called Creating a Thriving Inclusive Classroom Space. With that, I am very excited to introduce um, our webinar here today, Creating a Thriving Inclusive Classroom Space. Um, before we dive into today's content and I get to introduce you to our educators, I want to share just a little bit of information about ELA, um, as we like to call it. We are a coalition of organizations that is dedicated to producing and sharing resources, programs, and events like these, um, all dedicated to supporting students with disabilities and learning differences. Um, so we're really excited to center on topics such as these and bring these important topics to the center of the conversation. We'll go ahead and pass it over to Christy for a quick introduction. Hi, my name is Christy Houston and I am here in Pennsylvania. I am entering or I'm in my 20th year of teaching. I've taught kindergarten, second grade, and right now I am teaching third grade. Thanks, Christy. And then I'll pass it over to Denise. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, Denise Buck here. I uh, teach high school English in uh, El Paso, Texas. This is my 13th year teaching and I am on the border. So we have a lot of our EBs in our classrooms daily. Um, I've taught English one, I've taught English two, I've taught English three, English for all of them. And this year I'm currently teaching English three and reading three. Awesome. Well, I know everyone here that has joined us is really excited to hear from you both. So we know that when we talk about classroom spaces, we're not actually just talking about the physical classroom, desks and chairs and whiteboards, blackboards, whatever you want to call them. It's actually made up of also the abstract or the psychological side as well, such as expectations and frameworks and routines, the social emotional side as well. So we wanted to center that in our conversation today and thinking that we have both sides, both the actual classroom the students are in, as well as, you know, this abstract side. So we wanted to introduce that first as well as our essential question. So this is a question that everyone here and our, as our attendees can be thinking about throughout this. And by the end, we're gonna see if we can answer it for ourselves, which is how can our classroom spaces help us balance the many individual needs of our students? We see this as both a challenge and an opportunity. So we're really excited to have Christy and Denise here to help us answer this question. So with that, I want to start off with a nice and easy one. What is your guys' favorite school-provided support that helps you create an inclusive classroom? Well, in my um, school, we started morning meeting a few years ago. And I have to say, the first time they said we had to do morning meeting, I was very resistant um, because it was taken away from my math time. Um, but since starting morning meeting, I've noticed a huge difference in my kids. Um, we start with a morning message, which is just, you know, hello, how is your day? Might have a little math question in there or ELA question. Um, then we do a greeting and we rotate through the same greetings each month. So we have about 20 greetings and we rotate each month. Then we have a share question and every day for the entire year, it's a different share question. And this is where I really get to know my kids. Um, as the year goes on, I can usually predict what kids are going to say because we've had so many discussions based off of our um, share, 
then we have an activity where the kids are up and moving. Maybe they're playing four corners or maybe they're um, playing a game like figure it out. So they get to interact with each other and play. And then the final component, I have an SEL question or like skill we're working on. Um, and we have like five core skills we work on, like um, respect, responsibility, feelings and emotions. Um, so those types of things, um, along with a daily check-in where they circle how they feel when they come in, they are circling if they're happy or sad or angry, those types of things. I can ga- I can gauge how they're feeling as they're coming in the door and maybe head off some of those problems that might crop up later in the day. If I already know they're coming in angry, I can just ask them quickly, you know, what are you angry about today? Do you want to share? And then that helps our day go forward a little bit more smoother because I already know how they're feeling or if they're overly tired or those kind of things. So that's something that at first I was really hesitant to take away time from my core, but I found has actually saved me time throughout my whole day. In my case, it's, it looks a lot different at the high school level with our students because they have so many things going on and a lot of them don't want to you know, share in front of the students. They're shy. Um, so a couple of things that I like to do at the very beginning of the year, I, I, you know, put welcome slides up. They, they, they introduce themselves if they have a nickname. I try to make it very, a very safe space. And I tell them, Hey, anything you want to talk about, you can say it out loud. Um, they don't necessarily have to say everything out loud all the time. I give them the opportunity to, to record themselves when they want to share out. I, I also kind of, we have Google slides in the whole Google classroom. Uh, in my district. And if they're unsure about something like we're going over on the material, 45 minutes goes by so quickly in our classroom. I drop me a private comment and I like to look at them. I'll answer the questions. That way it's not singling a student out. Uh, the welcome screen, I like to put affirmations. And like Christy says, it does take a little bit of time out of, you know, our day, but just having those affirmations, even if it just reaches one student, I think that helps them. I had a lot of students tell me, you know, those affirmations really helped me get through when we were online. I would give an affirmation every day that really helped them. I guess just see the brighter side. And I like to use remind as the way I also for kids to text me directly to my phone. If they are having issues, they don't understand something. And, and we have common PLCs in, in, in our district as well. And I get to meet with them, you know, with our special ed teachers, with the ESL teachers and, okay, you have them. How can I help them? What, what can we do together to better service the student in our classroom? So those are just a few little things that we like to do. I love that. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing. I think, those are real concrete ways that you can incorporate these ideas. And I saw some chats as well. People were sharing their own um, specific uh, answers to these questions. And I want to encourage our attendees to continue to do that. Please join us in this discussion um, around our questions here. And if you have specific questions for Denise and Christy, we will make sure we answer those at the end. So keep them coming. We love the questions. But we want to hear from you all as well. Um, So these were really great school-provided supports. These are things that we want to make sure that are inside our classrooms. Um, But sometimes that's not quite enough. And I know, Denise, we talked about this before today. um, And often you mentioned that you have to take some extra steps. So what strategies outside of school have you used to make your classroom space even better? 
Okay. Well, I know we did talk about this. Um, donors choose. We brought it up is a huge, if you're able to use it, because unfortunately I know some districts aren't able to, um, doing those projects and realistically keep them, keeping them to $400. And the cool thing about donors choose is it can be anything. Like for instance, last year I wanted to get a cricket and vinyl so that I can make my kids like my senior um, students t-shirts, like little college t-shirts, you know, local colleges. And, and so I, I put in for the t-shirts, um, I put in for the vinyl and trying to keep the project slow and that helped. Um, I've done it where for books for the classroom, uh, there's so many places. And I know we're going to talk about Twitter later on that it's hard. Sometimes we're like, what's $400. How am I going to fund it? That's when you need to be aware. There's days where there's a two time match. So your $400 project is down to $200. And then they oftentimes, um, there's different, I guess, classroom awards that Donors Choose does. You attend a webinar, you do a survey, you do a couple of lessons with your students, and they will send you $50 reward code, $100. And those expire within months. So if you're, if you play the game right, you can try and get, the, okay, what project do I want? Let me get my rewards. <gasps> I've got a double match day and and just tweet it out. Twitter's huge. Like I said, we'll talk about that. And that really helps with anything. You know what? I want better chairs. I want to have a reading corner for my students. Sometimes it's hard to get the district to get behind that. And out of our own pockets, it's a lot of money. But Donors Choose really helps um, when it comes to, to doing things like that. Just like Denise was saying, I use Donors Choose also. I just started using it about two years ago, and um, I have funded probably using Twitter and Facebook and um, just even random people help fund your projects, people you build relationships on through Twitter. I funded um, close to 40 projects, and some of those I've put some of my own money into. Um, a lot of Donors Choose um, codes the same kind of thing. Also connecting with authors. There's a lot of authors who want to support your classroom. They want to Zoom with your kids, which is great. They'll spend that 30 or 45 minutes talking to your kids and the kids feel empowered when they get to talk to the author and the author kind of explains you know, what they're doing, how they can be an author. So I've seen lots of my kiddos um, just thrive once they've actually seen, oh, well, the author doesn't just sit down and write the book and two weeks later they're done. So they explain the process. So those kind of things the kids then realize, you know, authors make mistakes and those kind of things. So there's lots of people out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook that are willing to connect and help support each other. And that community is huge. I love that idea of community and that those that those communities are actually outside of school, but it sounds like they're made up of educators. Can you talk a little bit more about what makes up that community or what you found there? Well, I know myself, um, I have met up with some teachers on like retreats and then our group has grown from eight teachers to 40 teachers to a hundred teachers. And on the back end, at any time of the day, I can jump on the chat on the back end of Twitter and say, Hey, I'm having a problem. You know, kid X is having this problem. Does anybody have suggestions or I'm struggling to find a resource for this? Can anybody help? So a lot of people, people you don't even know, even if you just jump on Twitter and put hashtag teacher or science, and you can get a lot of support outside your school, school walls, which is great because sometimes we tend to do the same thing over and over, or we have the same strategies. We can reach out and talk to people who are across the country. You know, I can talk to Denise and be like, Hey, you know, this kiddo's struggling with this. What have you seen that's worked in your school? 
or that kind of thing. So I found a lot of resources and it does take some time, but it's one of those things you can sit on your phone at night while you're watching TV and just type in your question, put it down a few minutes later, pick it up. And there's, you know, eight or 10 or 12 different strategies and people saying, here, I use this resource, this worked and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's been huge for me, especially during COVID and during that time where you felt isolated from other teachers, maybe teaching from home or you can't go visit the neighbor teacher because you're trying to keep your classes separated. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And Denise, did you have one more thing there as well? I was just going to pick it off of Christy. It's I know Twitter is intimidating when you first see it and oh my gosh, what do I do and how do I do? But baby steps, once you find someone to follow, you just start, you know, you, you add a group chat, you start adding more teachers. And then that's, that's where you, I think you build like Chris said, your community, you can have them retweet for you. You can throw out a question, they'll retweet it. And it'll, I mean, you'd be surprised how many people actually see it in that way. I love that. That's so great. Um, and also the mention of the author. I think that's really fun. I also used to be an educator in the classroom and I had the chance to invite an author. And it was so much fun. That was a great day. There was so much engagement. It's like, what? Someone actually is here that wrote this book. It was a pretty cool moment. So I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our third questions. So And this is kind of going a little bit more into that other side of classroom spaces, kind of that internal side, um, which is all about the strengths of our students. So can you help us answer, how do you highlight the strengths of all students inside your classroom? And for those of you who are joining us on chat, feel free to jot down your answers here as well. How do you highlight the strengths of all students inside your classroom? One of the things I love that I um, started doing in my classroom, and I'm sure I got the idea from someplace else, is I have a board called Positive Post-it Notes. And my kids all have a little pad of post-it notes. And anytime when I'm not actively teaching, they can write a positive post-it note about someone else in the class. So they might say to Denise, thank you so much for playing with me on the playground. And then they sign their name and they stick it on the wall. At the end of the day, um, I collect all those and I don't read them out loud because I don't want the kids to feel like they're being signaled out or they might be, you know, embarrassed either or don't want people to know, but I'll hand out the positive post notes and I'll just be like, oh, I have one here for Denise and all the kids clap and they get to read it and you can see them smile. Um, And some days there might be only one or two. Sometimes I have 40 positive post notes and the kids will go home with their stacks of post notes and the parents tell me, the, the kids keep their stacks of post-it notes. And I know one kiddo last year, the parent emailed me and said, my child has never received praise from other kids. And they have 40 post-it notes from the entire year. It was something like 40, maybe 50, I forget. Um, and they were just, their child just felt so like empowered that they were trying to go out and like do things so people would notice, which is fine. But then they would get that that feedback that thank you for helping me pick up my you know books when they fell. In addition, I each day um, have a positive po- or positive note that I send home, one per child per um, day. And so I have a stack, and they're all pre written out with um, their name at the top, the family name, and I sign my name, and I just have them all ready. So I go through my roster and, and pre write that. And then I wait to see someone do something that I'm like, wow, that was amazing. So for example, today, one of my students came up and asked a question because they got it wrong on the test and they really want to know why they got it wrong. And she's really quiet and shy. So for her to come up and say, I need help 
I don't understand. Can you help me? That was a huge step. So I wrote on her card that already had her name on it. She did a great job being assertive, coming up and asking for help when it, you know, sometimes it's hard. So at the end of the day, I also hand that out. Again, I don't read it out loud to the whole class, but everybody knows it's going to that student and everybody claps. And they just, if I don't take the time to write that note, they're like, why didn't you write the note? Didn't anybody do anything good? And I'm like, yes, my, I just, you know, so I try to make sure that that's a priority because they really count on getting that feedback and they praise each other like, wow, you got the note today. You must have done something awesome. So that is huge. Um, to make sure you're highlighting every kid and every kid gets one. And then we go to like, I have them in different colors. I had red for August and orange for October and they want to collect all the colors. Like they want to take home and have all the colors throughout the whole year. So that's one way the kids just know that I see them and that they, other kids see them also and what they're doing to help each other. That is so incredible. I love how it starts with the individual, but it has turned into a culture of strength building inside your classroom. That's really great to hear. And I want to turn it over to Denise, too, maybe a little bit more of a high school perspective. How does this shift a little bit? And how do you highlight the strengths of all students inside your classroom? I will say it's a little bit more, it's a little bit harder, you know, when my, I've got like 160 students, but every classroom is different. Um, I know at our campus, they like to push positive phone calls. Uh, and we all have those students who are constantly answering our questions, but I, and I do, you know, I know I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be the only one. Every teacher has to do positive phone calls. Someone's probably going to call that, stu- uh, that student's parents. I try to do it. Like if it's like, a really quiet student who I don't hear from often and they, they decide to raise their hands. I call home and I'm like, Hey, you know what? He or she's been doing well, but today I was really excited because she participated. He, you know, he got in front of the class and he was able to do this. And I don't tell the students I'm doing it. So that way, sometimes when they get home, you know, the, it's at the high school, it's very different. Teachers don't necessarily call home unless it's, you know, bad. And I know there's some students and you know who your, you know, your, your troublemakers are. And I try to make sure that for them, I do make a positive phone call home because they're the ones that really need it. And they might come in the next day acting like, oh, whatever, I don't care. But you know that it, it meant something, it meant something to them. Or I'll send them a little remind, hey, good job today. I see you. I know what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Even if not everybody hears it, they know that I'm talking to them. Yes, I love that. I love flipping the script and highlighting those students who maybe are necessarily highlighted all the time. So I think that's fantastic. Um, and those, those phone calls really do make a difference. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our next question. So this kind of touches on, Denise, something that you just mentioned with calling home, but we know this is a real challenge, is engaging parents um, to support their students when maybe they're not in the classroom. Um, so how do you guys do this? And either of you can start, but how do you engage parents or support students when they're not actually in your classroom space? How can you support them when they go home? I'm going to piggyback off of what I was saying. I know I was talking about remind to me at the high school level, that's like key. And in Google Classroom, the students all have access to it and I can drop comments to everybody or I can drop private comments specifically to a student so that they can see it, whether it be on an assignment, um, whether it be just their email. And I think it's it's a lot harder for us to engage our parents sometimes because they're working. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I feel sometimes like parents 
of our high schoolers like, oh, they're in high school. They're, you know, they're adults now. They can do it. And I'm like, no, they they need they need your constant guidance. They need some support or just, hey, I see you. So that's where the phone calls come in. And I it's it's hard to try and call so many students, even every day with all the grading that we have to do. But I think the remind is the biggest thing. Sometimes when we're not there, like when we were um, online, I would send a, I'd send a positive affirmation through, through reminds to everybody, or I'd send a, I'd find a cute little gif and I'd be like, Hey guys, it's almost summer break and things like that. I mean, some kids, they just brush it off, but I think a lot of them just knowing that they have that communication, if they have a question or if they don't understand something. And I tell them, text me guys, I'm available. Okay. I'm not going to be texting you, you know, after nine o'clock, nine 30, 10 o'clock. Cause I've had kids send me messages and I see them and I ignore them. Or the next day I'm like, really? Like you can't text me that late. I'm not going to respond. But, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I make a note of it, that I speak to them or I respond to them the next morning, like, hey, this and this and this. So if they have questions, they know that they can they can reach me because I, I do make it an effort to respond. I'm just piggybacking off what you said. I actually have a high school student. So as a teacher, I always like, I'm like, what's going on at school? I wish like the teachers would reach out and say those kind of things. So it's nice to hear that you're reaching out to your parents because as an, you know, early childhood educator, I miss that communication with, you know, my high school student and what he's doing in his class. But for elementary, we utilize Seesaw. So um, if you have that platform, it's an excellent platform to be able to reach out and engage parents. Um, I post my newsletters there. I post reminders there. Um, I also try to get my kids to post a lot too. Um, they will post pictures of what they're doing in the class. And along with when I post pictures, um, they will post um, videos of things that we're doing in the class. So the parents love to see what the kids are doing. Um, we did a math activity the other day, distributive property, and they had Cheez-Its and Twizzlers and they were making their um, array and then they were writing out the equation and they were snapping pictures and submitting like crazy faster than I could keep up with the approval process. But then the parents see this is what they're doing. This is the hands-on learning. So when they get home and they said, well, we did nothing today. It was boring. The parent says, well, didn't you have Cheez-Its and Twizzlers for math? It wasn't that part of your math today. So that helps engage those conversations, especially with the kids who say we did nothing today. It was boring. It was a horrible day. Um, Also, I do sometimes when I have a chance, I try to go to some of my kids' sporting events and then I get to engage with the parents outside of the classroom um, just to be able to say, hey, I see your kid. They're doing great. Maybe they're not strong in academics, but they're really good at soccer. So I see your kid and what they're able to do and how can I piggyback what they do outside of school in the classroom. So um, I can't always go. But I try to get to a couple of sporting events throughout the year for a couple of kids, especially if they're on the same team. That kind of helps because I can get a whole group of them at the same time. Of course, it depends. You know, I have an older child, so I have that flexibility. When he was younger, I wasn't going to other um, kids sporting events. But it's a way to engage parents, especially parents that you don't necessarily hear from or see, um, you know, especially if you live in your community where you teach. Yeah, I think that's great. And something that I heard you guys actually both mention, which I think is really fun across these kind of differing uh, levels, is the idea that the students were actually engaging. So the students were taking the picture on Seesaw. I think I heard that correctly, which I think is super fun. And then the students were using Remind to actually type in their questions and engage. So that sounds like they're really taking charge. Um of those moments and being able to share those and create those communication systems. I think it's really great. 
So with that, we will go ahead and move on. And also, if I'm missing anything, my people in my chat, share share what's, what strategies you have for you know reaching out to parents or sharing those communication strategies. We'll, we'll come back around. So feel free to ask questions as we're going through this or keep um, commenting in the chat. Um, but we will go ahead and move on to our fifth question. Um, this one I think is kind of fun. So this is the world is our oyster. What strategies or tools would you like to start using that you maybe haven't yet? And it's okay and it's good to name the challenges that may stand in your way because that's something that we can talk about today. We've got our chat here. We've got our questions up. Um, we want to include everyone here. So what strategies, what strategies, there we go, or tools would you like to start using that you haven't yet? I know for me, I have um, a population of learning support students in my classroom. And then also now I have English learners in my classroom. Um, typically, I didn't have both of those populations in the same classroom due to all the needs. So this year I am struggling because we have a new curriculum and it's super fast paced. And um, it's hard to send home all these like stories that are in English when I have students who don't read English and I have parents at home who don't use or have English. So I really need to get better at um, getting a translating tool that I can use to translate materials that are going home, translate messages. Um, I do know Seesaw has some features for translating, but there's also, um, you need to train the parents on how to use that. So I need to get better at learning how to use those um, different tools so that I can communicate better with my families who don't have English as a first language or who just even struggle to, uh, they have they have English, but not enough to understand all the content we're sending home. Because as um, third graders, my kids are learning about the human body right now. They're learning all the different bones and they're going to learn about um, ancient Rome coming up. Um, and just that information is kind of heavy. So trying to translate to that to families who, you know, don't speak English and then so that makes sense. So they understand what we're doing, what's going on. So that's uh, something I need to get better at um, and be able to get, just get that information to them. That's great. Yeah. And our chat, let's hope maybe someone has, is using something similar. Maybe they have some strategies or tools. Share it with us. That's a, that's a question. This is a community space, just like the ones that we're talking about that are so beneficial. Um, but I also want to hear from Denise. What strategies or tools would you like to start using that you haven't yet? Or the challenges that stand in your way? I'm in Texas. And if any of you guys are in Texas, you have experience with the star. And then this year, it's now star 2.0. And we don't know what it looks like. It's going to change for everybody. So I think... Um, one of the couple of things that I like to do is doing, I guess we're incorporating more short answer responses, just trying to really push that in the beginning. Cause it's difficult with our freshmen, our sophomores, even our juniors, the writing isn't at the level that we want it to be. So I have 45 minutes. Do I, you know, do, are we reading a story? Are we analyzing it? Or am I going to focus? So I think for me, the hardest part, and I've struggled with it, incorporating, uh, mini lessons. So through the bell ringers last year, I, I really pushed like, let's talk, let's do simple sentences, compound sentences. Let's identify the subject, the verb, um, the predicate, just because those kinds of things would help them in their writing. It's just hard. Sometimes I feel like 
20 minutes go on the bell ringer. And then here I am only 25 minutes left. And I feel like sometimes I'm rushing through things. So I think that's the biggest thing. Just, okay. Finding maybe smaller, quicker activities that we can push at the beginning as a bell ringer. And that way we, it doesn't bleed too much into our, you know, our, the analyzing that we're doing. I saw someone drop in the chat, Cami. I, I, I use Cami since we had to go online. I'm a hundred percent paperless in the classroom. I try to be. So everything that I, um, cause our kids have their devices. It's one-to-one in our, in our district, thank goodness. So I upload everything. They could take it home. They have access to underline it. They can add, we do our hashtags on the side. Like there's no, um, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do that. And I think the biggest thing is using Cami and having students lead. I'd like having a lot more of a student led classroom. Sometimes it's just, that's my biggest hurdle. How do I start? Where do I start? Cause you know, you give them many projects. And then it turns into they didn't do it and the accountability. And sometimes I'm like, all right, we're starting over. We'll come back to it. And then we never get back to it. So I think it's just time constraints are rough sometimes. Definitely. Definitely. I love, love that question for where do we start? That actually brings us to our last question here, which is, what is your guys' advice, Christy, Denise, to an educator who wants to kind of start creating a more inclusive space, but doesn't have that first step that you just mentioned. It's like, okay, I really want to do this, but what are my small steps to get me started? I'd like to say it's always hard when you come to these type of things and you hear all these ideas. You're like, wow, this all sounds great, but now I'm overwhelmed. So pick one thing you want to try and try to do that. So, you know, the one that speaks to you. And then once you feel like you've got that one going, pick another thing. So you have your list of ideas, just circle one, which is going to be the one you focus on for this month or even the school year, and then add another one. Also reach out to your community on Twitter and Facebook and in your um, school and get ideas from them what has worked well. And some years, some things work great with a class and the next year it doesn't work at all. Maybe they're not interested in the positive post notes and nobody's writing them. I have to say my class last year took off with it immediately. This class, it wasn't until October, even though we had talked about it and it was hanging there, nobody wrote a positive post note. Once that first note went up, then it was like a wildfire of notes going up. So you've got to go with what your class kind of feels and you know where they're headed because not everything works for every class. So pick one thing, try it out. If it works for you, it's got to work for you as a teacher too. It's got to fit your style and how you teach and how you, um, you know, are in your classroom. So not everything we do works for everybody else. Just like in um, the teacher next to me does whole brain teaching. It's lots of yelling and screaming. I am not that person. I am a quiet Zen classroom with the little classical music. I can't do the yelling and screaming, but that works for her. And that's how she does her whole brain teaching and, you know, her kids, some of the kids like it, some don't. So it just depends on what you want to do. Pick one thing and don't get overwhelmed by all the different ideas. I agree with Christy wholeheartedly. It is, there's so much, you don't know where to go. So definitely focus on one thing. Um, for me in the high school, sometimes some of my classrooms, when I have, you know, heavily sped populations, I know someone mentioned a co-teacher. We don't necessarily co-teach, but we do have them come in um, twice a week, three times a week, depending to to provide additional help. I mean, for those students, but to everybody, I like to to meet with them before school, stay after school. Hey, how is this person with you? Or because sometimes they have them in their classrooms or they see them throughout the day in other classrooms. Maybe the student is really well in 
in math? How can I use that to support the student in the classroom? I think the biggest thing is creating a safe space for students first, because then they're willing to take risks for you. They're willing to do things outside of their comfort zone that they wouldn't necessarily do. And at the high school level, it means a lot to, you know, set themselves up to, for possible embarrassment, knowing, hey, the students in the classroom have my back. The teacher has my back. And then even if, hey, I like to tell them, guys, all right, we're trying something new today. I'm, you know, let's just see how it goes. It might not work, but hey, we're human. I'm human. I make mistakes too. So that way they see, okay, this isn't the perfect goddess. She makes mistakes. It's okay for me to make mistakes. And that I think once you have that safe classroom where they feel that they can take those risks, that then you can virtually do, I don't want to say almost anything, but almost anything with your students. That's really great. Thank you guys for sharing. And I hope that our chat is going off too for getting started, what to do to create these spaces. Feel free to continue adding into the chat. Um, For now, we do have um, a little question and answer session. So if you had a question that you wanted to ask Christy or Denise, we are going to answer it at this point. Um, and if you haven't already asked a question, you can click the question mark and ask. So let's see what we have here. So one question we have is what affirmations do you use? I believe that question is for Denise. You had mentioned you use affirmations and this was something especially that was helpful um, when in remote learning. So what affirmations did you use? I think I, I Googled just like positive affirmations for high schoolers and I pulled from everywhere. Um, if there's a place where I can post or I know my email is there, feel free to email me. Um, Cause I do it in Google slides and I'm extra and I would wake up every day super early. So my background was a Jack Skellington background. It was adventure time background. Uh, it was Lilo and stitch mainly stitch because you know, things that I like super, uh, super colorful. I'd add little, uh, little gifs like, Oh, it's Monday. I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. Um, and then I'd post that affirmation and I'd read it to them a different one every single day. My background would literally change every single day. I mean, some kids wouldn't even notice. Other kids would be like, hey, you didn't change it today. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I didn't have time. <laughs> but just that, seeing that. So I, I don't mind sharing that that out. But that's what I would do, like Google it. And I try to take away the the I will do this today because I, I try to read as a class today, um, you know, I try to think about off the top of my head and I'm drawing blanks, but I I don't mind sharing those for sure. If if anybody wants to, wants them. And Christy, I know you had mentioned something about that as well. Maybe not named affirmations, but some language shifts that happen in your classroom. Can you share those? Yeah, definitely. So when you have your littles, they tend to get upset sometimes when they don't know something and they tend to cry and they say, I can't do this. And you look at them and you're like, yeah, I can understand. You can't do distributive property as an eight-year-old. And so I have some posters hanging up that hang up all year. And one of them is, I can't do it yet, or I don't know it yet. And so a lot of times when kids are frustrated, I'm like, it's okay. You don't know yet. And it might not be this school year. It might be next school year. And so we talk about that a lot. We also talk about how we make mistakes and I make plenty of mistakes and I point them out or they will point them out. I'm like, oh, 
Mrs. Houston just made that mistake. Is it okay I made that mistake? And they're all like, yes. And so the more they hear and the more they see you modeling mistakes, which I can do without modeling, it just happens, the more they know it's okay to make mistakes. And it was funny at the beginning of this year, I was a little frustrated about something not in the classroom, but something with admin. And I'm like, I just can't do this. And my kids were like, yet. And I was like, you're right. I can't do it yet. And even though they didn't know I was talking about it and it wasn't a, you know, something, you know, on the board or anything, I was remembered they are listening. They are listening and they're seeing that modeling. And so it was really good that I heard that come back to me because when I get frustrated with the things that are happening outside my classroom, um, that when they see me saying, it's okay, I don't know yet, or it's okay, I'm frustrated. I will tell them I am frustrated. I am not frustrated with you, but I'm frustrated by another situation and it's making me feel this way. So what can I do? I can say, I don't know yet. I can say, I'm going to try a different strategy. So them seeing you model that and hearing you say those same affirmations over and over, they start to tell each other in even little conversations between, you know, when someone makes a mistake, they're like, it's okay. Mistakes help you learn. And you hear these little conversations that are very empowering for them and and change their mindset. And you have less tears and you have less frustration. Um, and if I have less tears and less frustration, you know, because it comes back to us when we see a kid who's struggling, like we take that home and we feel it. So, um, those, those core things and that the word yet is huge because all of our kids learn at a different pace. Oh, I love that. I'm totally going to steal that and use it. I think it's so great. Okay. What else? I think we had a few more questions in here. Um, Okay. So these are more on that kind of like physical classroom side of things. Um, What is the best way to get um, a child to sit down and to do a specific activity? So I think this is kind of focusing on focusing, getting students to focus in on one specific activity. So I know for elementary, this can look a lot different than high school. Our elementary kids often can only sit for a few minutes at a time. One of my frustrations right now is my new program requires the kids to sit and listen for sometimes up to 80 minutes of me reading and asking questions. And that is a very long time. So we're actually learning about the human body right now. And as they're learning about that, we're learning about how the brain works and what you do. So we're using a lot of movement. Now, I'm still like that quiet teacher. I like everything calm and stuff, but getting the kids to move. So we were learning about voluntary and involuntary motion. So anytime I can get them to move when I'm teaching, whether it be they put a hand up or put a thumbs up, put a thumbs down, those kind of interactions and crossing that center line of your body, which activates both hemispheres of the brain, which I just learned about today, um, is, is going to help them sit longer and be able to be engaged. Um, so, you know, and stretching it out, even if I have a question, I have the kids, if you think it's this answer, go to this side of the room. If you think it's this answer, go to that side of the room and then come back and sit down and then ask them to do that task that might require them to sit a little bit longer. So getting up, moving, sitting down and doing that written task or that listening task, get up and move, sit down. Um, even, you know, sometimes I'll read something. I have to read a lot to them. And omitting words and seeing, can they add the word in? Because then they have to listen. So I omitted this key word that they should know and see if they can just add that in instead of them just sitting there kind of like zoning out. 
I love that idea of movement. That's so important. And Denise, do you have an answer to that one as well? Maybe like shifting to the focus area on the activity? In high school, because we only have like those 45 minutes, we try to make sure we have the rules and routines. Hey, come in. Google Classroom should be open. You have a bell ringer. Start working on it. As soon as we go through our welcome screen, we'll move on. Um, so I think it's just reinforcing that sometimes if I know they're in a bad mood or I can tell right away something's wrong, I'm like, Hey, you know what? Take a, take a 10 minute break, put your head down. I get it, but you need to come back to us. That kind of thing. I know our district is really pushing the talk, read, talk, write initiative, um, this, this year. And it's, you know, uh, talk amongst yourselves, give them a chance to, to share out with someone Have they have a little, you know, shoulder partner, face partner, and that way, okay. She's going to call on me and I'm not going to freeze. I have the answer. And that way, if we've all talked about it, yes, these are great answers. Now, okay, using what we just discussed, write this down. I mean, they can't, I mean, they can say, oh, but there's no excuse. Like, hey, we all just talked about it. You were with your partner or, hey, write the sentence together. Have a slide where you're both um, writing at the same time. That way they're both accountable for, for their writing. I think just if they're able to, converse with each other and know, okay, I'm, I'm on the right track, then I can complete it. I love it. And as you guys are talking, we're hearing more and more from our chat. So if you um, have not clicked on that chat and aren't reading along, please do so because there are some great ideas in there as well. Some additional ideas, some additional strategies. So take a look there if you haven't already. Um, but let's see what other questions do we have? I saw a few more come in. Um, well, we have one here that says, do you have any tips for making classrooms more inclusive for multilingual learners? So one of the things I do with this, again, with this new curriculum is that, um, I have a focus board. So my ELA math, no, sorry, ELA science and social studies is all incorporated into ELA. So as we are learning the content, we are building the focus board. So we start off with just the unit name, like unit three, human body. And I might have a couple pictures up there. And as we're learning vocabulary, we are putting it up there. And if you have learners who, I only have um, one E, no, I have two EL learners this year. So um, they both speak a different language. So it's not so helpful to put up things in different languages for them. Um, but um, I put up the vocabulary. And right now, like we have a skeleton up there. And as we learn the different bones, you know, the kids go up and label the different bones with little, you know, Velcro things. So trying to build those built bulletin boards together versus having it pre-made, which I am very much a pre-made kind of person, but I've had to step back and say, okay, we got to do this together because it makes it more a learning experience. And then they see that there and they can utilize that. Um, prior to this curriculum, I used to do like a language and a reading notebook. So as we learned um, different things, we would make a notebook as a resource for them to go back to. And that was really helpful when they were learning new content, um, new terms and grammar, those kind of things. They would see a visual picture and also the vocabulary to match. Um, so that helps. And Denise, did you have any strategies to share for supporting multilingual learners? On our campus, well, I teach English. So like our newcomers or students don't have a lot of English. They normally are in a like a different setting with just newcomers. And I know they have a whole other class where they they like go through, um, they do different programs to support learning uh, or the reading, Achieve 3000. Um, for, I'm trying to think about what my, my other contents do, like for science, I think the biggest thing is like for science and math, sometimes the cognates, making those accessible to them because they have one-to-one -one devices, they can just, I know I saw in the chat, Google Translate, 
They have um, each Chromebook comes with snap and read so that they can highlight a piece and translate it for themselves as well. Um, I just think the fact that they have a device makes it so much easier, at least at the high school level. So it's a little bit less pressure on me. And like I said, I'm in the board, I'm on the border city. So if they need something translated, they'll, you know, they'll talk to each other in Spanish and, and then they'll, oh, okay, okay. And say it differently. So that, that helps them, um, understand. But I like to share at the beginning, Hey, these are the different resources. You have the snap and read, you can look at Google translate different things that, that help them along the way. And, you know, they have their buddies as well. Yes, that is very good. And we have a few more questions here in our chat. Um, this one's a little bit of a longer one. So I'm going to read this out loud. Um, and hopefully we have time to answer this one because it does seem like a good question and very timely. So <clears throat> it says, I'm a new teacher part-time at a private school. So the class size is really small, about 10 to 14 students. I found that feeding them snacks, um, there are six, seventh, 10th and 11th grade motivates them. I know with them, with COVID and them being out of school, they were behind academically. I have some students who are struggling academically now. Uh, what is the best way to get students to not give up um, when they get to high school and they aren't well equipped academically? I feel like this one's for me. <laughs> might, might be a little um, good for you. <laughs> when I taught freshmen last year, and they don't like to, at least in my case, my students don't like to to show that they're that they're lacking. They're like, nah, I understand everything, but you see it in their grades. And I've always pushed this as an English teacher. The more that they read, the better that they'll become in every subject. And I told them, I was like, I don't care if you can't read these ginormous novels. I was like, pick up a manga, start somewhere, because you're exposing yourself to the vocabulary. So for students like that that were struggling, I might suggest, hey, you know what? I know it seems like overwhelming. Let's let's start little bits. You know, let's read a book and then let's start using some of that vocabulary. I told my kids, hey, you need to build brain muscle. Because our students here in Texas, they're forced to do all of their tests online now. And then the the English tests are ridiculous. They're doing like 10, 12 different passages and they have to write an essay and students lose focus. And I'm like, okay, you can focus on the Twitter. You're on the TikTok for hours upon hours scrolling. I was like, because it's mindless scrolling sometimes. So I told him, hey, start small. You may not like what you're reading. It may be boring, but boring doesn't mean I couldn't read it and understand it. Um, I think those are the kinds of things ensuring that you're available for tutoring sometimes in the morning after school. I, I know we have, like I said, thank goodness we have achieved 3000. They do reading plus we have reading reading plus in our campus and that kind of tests the students to see, okay, what level are they at? Cause some of our students are reading at, you know, a sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade level low where, you know, even elementary school. And I tell them, look, everyone's different. We did have that gap year, but you have to start somewhere. The more that, and then even small passages. I know um, there's a couple of resources online. Readworks.com, I think is one that has passages with questions, little things like that. Even, hey, you know what? Here it is. Take it home, do it on your own. Or, hey, let's come in for tutoring, showing them strategies. Once they start seeing that it works, that the strategies are beneficial to them, they'll start owning it themselves, doing it more on their own. Like I love reading and I push reading with my students. So we try to do reading as much as we can. Um, and I, I really just, to me, that's what it all goes down to and just enforcing it, being available and, and telling them, hey, look, you may not get to where you want to be, but you will get there if you keep trying. Baby steps. 
eventually will lead you to where you want because we can't just jump huge gaps, unfortunately. Yeah, I love that um, that ownership and that autonomy that they're encouraging your students to take on. I feel like that's very true. And people are echoing this in the chat as well. That medium where they are is so important. Um, we do have one more question and maybe someone will join us to help answer as well. Um, but let's see here. The last question that we have today is how do you implement language and literacy in the classroom? So our new curriculum is heavy um, literacy based. Um, it's also heavy content based. Um, so two hours a day I am spending doing ELA now. Um, so there's the speaking and listening part. There's um, the silent reading part of it. Then we have the writing and the um, grammar. So it's all, and then science is kind of built in there and social studies. Um, we don't have the hands-on science right now. Um, I do build that into my classroom because hands-on is so important for our learners and that's how they learn. Um, but utilizing all those different things and kind of just finding the right mix. I know a lot of districts um, have their set um, requirements. So you really have to follow your district's guidelines on that. Um, but when you're looking for um, things to do, if you get to have some autonomy, um, finding out what your kids are interested in. If you are reading about, um, know, say, the human body and nobody is interested, then you're going to lose them. But if you know they're interested in Minecraft, when you're teaching even like, say, math, well, then have them build in Minecraft, you know, using area and perimeter, like, so finding what they're interested in and trying to build on that as much as you can, as much as you're allowed to. So it really depends on district. Um, it's been a big switch for me to go to a scripted curriculum where I basically read 40 pages of a teacher's manual a day. Um, it's hard, but still trying to find those moments of, you know, where it makes it more fun and makes it more active. It makes it, um, for my kids, the superintendent came in, to um, observe our class and my kids peppered him with questions about the human body, which he couldn't answer any of them. So they felt very proud of themselves that, you know, maybe they weren't interested in the day before, but they were smarter than the superintendent. So just finding those like little glimmers of light, and then that makes them excited about learning. Oh, that is such a great ending note. Let's all find our glimmers of light, show off our skills, the superintendent. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, on that note, we are ending here today. Um, we also have here um, the information for our lovely speakers. So find them on Twitter, engage in those communities. Those are all listed out here. If you haven't yet heard of Educating All Learners Alliance, it's a great community. You can find us at educatingalllearners.org or by clicking the link provided there. So thank you all for coming. 